All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Spit Nation. So, uh, Victoria, why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory, uh, how you started uh, and how you wound up on HSM with your jewelry and into where we are now? Yeah, so um, I came here as a uh, immigrant with my parents in 1971. And at the time, uh, Korea had gone through, you know, it was about a few years after Korea had gone through a civil war th- that divided North and South. And um, it was run by a military junta at that time. So my and and the Korean culture was to um, kind of like elevate boys. Um, you know, girls weren't really allowed to go out and kind of earn a living. Uh, those girls were kind of looked down upon. So since my dad had four girls, he uh, really felt that America was where he wanted his girls to grow up. And uh, he didn't have anything against, you know, stay at home moms or whatever you wanted to do. But he wanted his girls to have her. Let, let that be the her choice, not the society's choice. So he came here where uh, we were all told that it's the promised land um, in America. All dreams actually do come true. So we came here and, uh, you know, the next day after we woke up, um, all of our we found out all our money were frozen in both countries. So we kind of had to survive on the 30 bucks that were still in my father's pocket. So life was pretty tough um, for the first couple of years. You know, I watched my parents actually go to work for the first time. Um, my mom, especially, you know, never worked um, because, you know, women didn't go to work back then. <laughs> she never worked before. And, uh, you know, she went to work in a sewing factory. I mean, from like uh, dusk to you know, dawn to dusk, it was very, very sad. So from that beginning, um, my dream, my American dream at that time was just to, you know, be able to um, sort of buy my own car at one point in my life and be able to own my own, like pay rent in my own apartment as opposed to sharing it with my my five siblings and all. And um, I, I reached that dream. And then when I became an adult, I wanted to kind of make sure that I can spend time with my with my kids because that's the thing that I really craved the most uh, when I came here. Because, you know, we were kind of abandoned. My parents had to go to work, you know, two jobs each. So I became like the parent for the rest of my siblings. I was the oldest. So I started my company um, with the idea that my dream life back then was to make 3000 bucks a month. Um, that's the dream life. So if I only made 2000 bucks a month, that was going to be okay. you know. Right. So I did that. And I also wanted to, um, you know, having gone through what I went through, I kind of wanted to kind of live the life I wanted to live. Because to aspire to be, you know, everything else was just too much for me. So I thought if I could just do what I wanted to do, you know, make a couple of thousand bucks a month, it'd be great. I can provide for my family. And I never thought about owning a home or anything like that. And then uh, if I actually hit the jackpot and made three grand a month, I could maybe send my kids to college. So that was my dream. And um, decades later, now I'm sitting here having gone through like an eight figure career. So um, I would say that that's the the short backstory. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty uh, interesting journey coming from South Korea to the United States, like you said, on a shoestring budget for your parents, and then ha- them both having to go to work in a land that they weren't even used to while leaving all of you at home. That's right. got to be tough on everyone. And, and I'm sure it built resilience within all of you. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's resilience. But, you know, uh, I was too young to really know, uh, to have those dreams. And, you know, when you're that young, your disappointments, heartaches, all that, though, the, the memory for those things are pretty short. So, you know, uh, we had to learn to speak English. We had to, you know, we had no friends, no family, nobody here. So it was all a new thing. Um, and we kind of, you know, we thought America is nothing like what we thought before, you know. First of all, in South Korea, we, where we lived like on a little beach strip. So, you know, the, the days were pretty idyllic. Like, uh, you know, I watched the sunset, sunrise every day. We didn't have a lot of density there. So it was really, you know, kind of a, a laid back lifestyle. Then we ended up in East Los Angeles where kids actually went to school with knives and guns even back then. And, um, you know, there were sirens everywhere uh, every afternoon at school. In fact, I saw more sirens and, you know, police uh, cars probably day one at my school the very first day than I had in my whole life back there. So it was pretty rough. But even so, there was something about the American culture, the you know, the accepting of everything and everybody and anybody can be whoever they want to be at some point. So we never really gave up that hope. And, um, you know, you, we just kept on thinking about what is the one thing that you could do to help yourself for today versus tomorrow? Because as you know, um, you having, you know, been th through your world, you know, situations and uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, all that, you know, there's suffering everywhere all around the world. And so I kept that in perspective all the time. And, um, you know, it kind of helped my business uh, mindset that no matter how tough things were, I had to believe that, you know, God didn't put me on earth so I can just starve and um, suffer and, and die a tr tragic death. I mean, I was just going to have to keep on figuring out what my purpose is for the day. And I did it. Yeah, I think you've done a great job and you pushed forward. So, how, what made you want to start uh, designing and, of course, selling your own jewelry? Was that something you've seen someone else do or was that just some vision you had that I want to – I'm probably going to be good at this. I can move forward. You know, uh, I'm glad you were asking me that question. I think a lot of people have never asked that. Uh, basically, I um, – when my grandmother uh, was fleeing the North Koreans, basically shooting the South Koreans because they were, like, right in Seoul area. And, you know, she ended up literally walking on – on foot with her seven kids. And, um, and then, you know, she would drop them off uh, at orphanages uh, because she knew she, she knew she couldn't take all seven of them with her. So she would drop the youngest ones at the first orphanage because she figured they wouldn't bomb that one. And then she would go as long as she could. And then she'd drop a couple more kids. So, you know, by the time she got to Busan, she only end, ended up with a couple of the kids that could actually walk on their own. But oh, wow. the thing that she, um, the thing that survived all those, you know, uh, situations was the the little pieces of family jewelry that she had, and she held on to them because they, uh, you know, kind of showed family history. You know, this is when so and so got married. You know, her little belongings were in this box, kind of thing. So I, ju it just kind of made an impression on me, and um, so when and. I was always an artist, you know, I always wanted to be an artist and I was kind of talented in art. I, I kind of weren't, I was not at all uh, talented in a lot of other things like science and biology and math, like those things just about killed me, you know, <laughs> but, but art and literature was really kind of my, uh, my wheelhouse. And um, so I thought, you know, I, uh, the dream of becoming a, like a painter was going to be just, you know, my dad told me pretty much uh, look at like Van Gogh and, you know, Monet, all these people, they all, 
died broke. You know, they didn't actually become rich until they died. <laughs> so he says, forget it. So, you know, I thought jewelry industry at that time was really uh, unresponsive to their clients. You know, uh, most of the clients, people who actually wore the jewelry were women. And um, the the industry was pretty much run by a few men, just very few people kind of owned the whole industry. And, you know, they didn't listen. You know, they basically had uh, seven inch bracelets for everybody. They never, if you wanted anything other than seven inches, you couldn't fit into it because you were only six and a half or eight inches. You had to special order, pay more money, wait eight weeks, all that stuff. So I thought, you know, I could actually uh, offer stylish jewelry that actually personified uh, the person's personality, their budget, their lifestyle, and offer it at like a tenth of a price. And, um, you know, and I felt like I had the artistic talent to do that. And remember, my goal really was to make a couple thousand bucks. And I thought I could do it. You know, I thought that wasn't like out of the world dream. So I started it with, with that idea. Okay, that's that's a really a good starting point for you, and as as well with your artistic background. My daughter's the same way; she can draw draw like there's no no end in time. But when I tell her to do other things like math or science, it was always a a battle between the two of us to get her to even open the books or pay attention to it. But she loved art; and she loves Shakespeare and all that stuff. And moving forward, now she's a fitness uh, entrepreneur, I guess we'd call her right now. So she's having fun doing that. Yay, she's a girl after my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and being in the military, I missed a lot of time with her. So any time I had with her was always pushing her to be better at whatever she was doing. And I always tried to support whatever she was doing and give her positive reinforcement. Still to this day, I do that, even though she's not in the house anymore. She's married on her own mm-hmm. just across town. But I still try to reinforce that and give her that empowerment. You know, I was just listening to your episode uh, with Brittany Wagner, and I think that, you know, kids, it's not, I mean, she kind of personified this belief that kids are not, they're not statistics, they're not numbers, they, they, every kid is individual. And every kid, you know, she could, your daughter could be excelling in, in literature, but she could be like a below average in, in math. And that doesn't mean she's a dumb person. That doesn't mean she's not going to succeed in society. It just means that she was gifted in something else. And so I just think that, you know, uh, my hat's off to you in that, you know, you've still empowered her instead of like drilling on things that she can't do. She can't do as well as other people, you know? Right. Because I knew I had uh, a lot of uh, deficiencies in education as I was growing up because there's only so many things I like to do. And most things I just drew pictures while I was in class because I was bored. (laughs) <laughs> to try to get through and i guess that's where she got the drawing from my my creativity during high school i guess <laughs> the question is are you are you good at pictionary then <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people don't understand when i'm drawing because i'm not that neat when i draw so it's that's kind of like my writing is horrible yeah. <laughs> it's an expression though you know yes expression of my it's an extension and expression of me yeah exactly so when you started, I know that one of the first questions on your pod, uh, your pod match page says to ask you the question, how to start business with, with no money. Is that how you started yours? Or did you have some startup capital? No, I had no startup capital. And in That's fact, uh, in fact, I now coach people how to start their businesses with no money. Even if you have money to burn, I will tell you, don't start with money to burn because there is so much more joy in discovering what you can do. Um, so, 
you know, a lot of people will ask me because jewelry industry is one of the most capital intensive uh, businesses you can start. And it's the most uh, relationship intensive business. I mean, if you don't know a diamond dealer, you know, if you don't know a miner or a cutter, like you don't ever get the, the prime source. So what I did was um, if you want to make, for example, if you want to make uh, samples, you know, you want to go to a department store, you want to go to, you want to have a jewelry store, you want to have a selection, you want people to come in and, you know, see, um, I don't know, 24 to 36 rings. Um, you want them to see some necklaces, bracelets, you know, whatever. So you're looking at, you know, an average jewelry store has something like a couple of thousand styles. So if you wanted to start a business and you didn't have any samples, well, first of all, every sample, if, if, you're, if you have an original thought and you want them to make your drawing into a, into a piece, usually the, those mold costs, like at Master Mold, are usually about $300 to $1,200, depending on the complexity of the mold. And it is pretty labor-intensive you know, thing. You've got to get an artist who's a technician who is going to you know, make a silver Master Mold that could be kind of printed out many times over every time you order it. So think about it this way. If you had 100 samples... And every sample cost you $500, that's $50,000. That's before you found out if anybody liked your style, okay? Not a single human being. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's really stupid, okay? Because 100 styles won't get you in the door with anybody. Um, so if you wanted to get 1,000 styles, that's like, you know, uh, $500,000 then. So for me, that was just uh, just a non-starter. So what I did was um, I drew all my designs out in a beautiful watercolored uh, 3D looking, you know, so I had a, the top view, the side view, the 3D view, and uh, in, in actual scales, you, it looks like it could actually fit your finger. So I, I just went to some of the stores. Um, the first two stores I went to uh, were Neiman Marcus on Modeo Drive, like uh, Wilshire on Modeo, because I was within the vicinity of it. You know, it's, a, it's a, like a 30-mile drive from where I was living. And um, I asked the department, the jewelry assistant manager of the jewelry department, if you had something like this, you know, could you sell it? And if you can't, um, you know, where, do you think anybody would buy it at any store? And uh, lo and behold, you know, the manager said, um, oh, my God, like these are beautiful. And none of our clients, I mean, they're mostly movie stars, uh, stylists, abduction houses, they don't actually want anything in our cases. They want to see like what the, you know, what the designers are thinking in the pipeline. They want to see something that nobody has. So if you, if we had styles like this, I mean, I would definitely be able to sell it. So then the next question is, you know, how much would they pay for it? So you know, the answer I got was like, it doesn't matter. They'll pay whatever, literally. So then I went to the Saks Fifth Avenue across like, it's on the same street, on the same corner. And uh, I got a pretty good, you know, very similar response from her as well. But I realized at that point that that isn't America, okay? That isn't reflective of the American public in general. So I then went to, you know, the small stores, big stores all over Southern California in my car with the drawings. Um, after I was done visiting like 40 different stores, uh, first of all, the, the Neiman Marcus store, um, assistant manager she actually did sell a few pieces for me from the drawing you know nice. but yeah but the other stores actually gave me very good feedback and I was able to zero it down to like eight styles that I knew I could sell so again you know this was um, pretty much getting feedback um, and a lot of it so you know for example where there's a broad interest in something 
Then once I started getting orders, uh, once I started actually getting actual orders from, you know, regular customers, the, the department store customers, you know, anywhere from uh, $500 to $5,000, sometimes $20,000, um, you had to, because I do fine jewelry, so you had to figure out a way to store it. You know, um, a lot of jewelry stores have those floor to ceiling safes, like bulletproof, fireproof safes. And uh, they would typically have a store, the safe, and then they would have an alarm system, and then they would have a jeweler's insurance, which is like sky high. Uh, I couldn't afford it. So the question is, how do I secure? And and I was living in kind of a semi-seedy area because that's the the rent I could afford in a two-bedroom apartment without an alarm system. So I was like, how do I secure my inventory so that I don't, first of all, I don't get hit over the head. And secondly, that it wouldn't be, be stolen, right, at gunpoint. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I thought about it and I shopped all the uh, safes, even the used ones were like $2,500 a pop, the, the little ones that are used that wasn't, that weren't really all that safe. Uh, in fact, a couple of big guys could just pick it up and leave. Um, and I was, remember, still living in this little apartment uh, building. So I thought the best thing I could do really was to go to the bank. So, you know, I went, I banked at B of A. Um, and I rented one of those safes that the people can, can, can rent, you know, the largest safe actually is pretty big and it was 120 bucks a year. So I, I went to two of them for all my inventory. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, if you think outside the box, there's all these different ways you can actually start your business with very little money. I couldn't say I started with zero money. But if you count the 120 bucks or whatever, I would, you could say, you know, I started with less than a thousand bucks, but it's really, um, it's just having that will and creativity to solve your problems. Right. Having that desire and drive to make your life better as you move forward. That, that's what I think pushed you to, to where you are today. And I mean, $120 uh, for each safe for a year, that's a, that's a pretty uh, negotiable price to save your product and save yourself from harm. Right. Especially, like you said, living in a semi-seedy area, any area yeah. for a, a young woman with a lot of jewelry around her, that's not a good area <laughs> unless, unless you have a weapon or something. So, so that's good Good that you were able to do that. And basically, that was your stepping stone to get further ahead in, in the business industry, wasn't it? Right, right. So, you know, I think that the, the lesson here is, um, you know, one of the uh, things that I've and I, I w- it, this wasn't the, the quote I lived by back then, but, you know, I've kind of discovered, ever since I discovered this particular quote, um, I think it's relevant here. And that is uh, Nelson Mandela uh, said something to the effect that, you know, he was giving an interview. It wasn't like really a quote, but he was giving an interview, a casual interview with some uh, station out in England. And he said something like, you know, it all seems impossible until it's done. And, you know, if you put that into context at, at which time he did this, he was in the middle of like a 30 year prison sentence. And, um, you know, you would, it, it might be pretty easy for anyone to think at that point, you know, I'm never going to get out. If you're in, you know, 30 years in prison for whatever reason, and your sentence was 30 years by year 10, you're thinking, you know, I'm never going to get out. But he basically said, it all seems impossible until it's done. So for me, that phrase meant that, no matter how impossible it seems, if you have the desire for something, not getting it done is not an option. So what are you going to do today to get it done? <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of a pivotal thing uh, because when I started my company, this wasn't an issue. But I think 
remember, I went from uh, zero to like a million dollars in the first 18 months. And then That's from, crazy. yeah, from the million to 10 million, probably in the next 18 months. And then from 10 million to 100 million. So, you know, a lot of people kind of uh, the biggest question a lot of people ask me is like, well, how did you end up at HSN? And, you know, like, what was your business like before then? Uh, people don't realize that I actually built a worldwide business in 35 different countries before I ever set foot on HSN. That's amazing. Yeah. So, in fact, they found me at all these major stores and they wanted to attract me to their station because I was at Harrods London, Galleries Lafayette, um, Takashimaya Tokyo, um, you know, Neiman, Marcus Sachs, Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, all these stores. And I was on the cover of the inside cover of everything. So they, you know, like called me and asked me if I would be, you know, if I would like to go on their channel. And I was like, you guys are called like home shopping club. And, you know, it looks like you're, you're mostly grandma shop here. And I don't really know like how this is going to fit. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm an immigrant here. I came here with nothing. And, um, Ending up in a grandma shopping network is kind of like my fear, really, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, no, I don't want to be on it. Yeah, And I don't want to be on TV. I don't want anyone to know who I am or, you know, who my kids are. I mean, you know, I'm scared to death. And uh, so, you know, it took like uh, five, six years before I actually went on air after they contacted me. Oh, wow. So it's a, yeah. it a pretty good process there to get you on there. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I, remember, I so – when I started my company, um, I basically started it so I can spend time with my family. And that was my goal. And that never changed. So even with the $500 million business, I can tell you, I've never missed the first anything. I had like HSN block out the dates that I can't be. I never work on my kids' birthdays, never work on my mother's birthday. I don't work on any of the holidays, like, you know, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Those were all I mean, huge, like the biggest shopping days of the years were all the days I don't want to work. And I didn't do it. I didn't work. Um, you know, they're like, <laughs> you can make an extra $3 million. And I said, no, but it's off the table. and I'm not going to work on those days. Um, but the reason why I had the, the international uh, distribution before I, I found uh, HSN is this. Um, I lived in L.A., uh, I, I still live in the West Coast, but not in L.A. So I lived in L.A. all those times. And um, I got up at five every morning because my kids were young. You know, they went to school about uh, 745 in the morning, you know, because they got to school about 815. So um, I dropped my kids, you know, to school about 745. So between five and 630 a.m., uh, that is um, for Europe. It's, you know, midday, you know, 1130 to 130, depending on where you are in Europe. So I contacted them first, you know, because that was the two hours I had. And then, you know, every day I had a list of people to, you know, contact, I, you know, emails and faxes and not emails, faxes and letters. I wrote, like, I sent out 50 letters every single day. So, and then the faxes, because the faxes were like phone lines and they were kind of expensive. So I was very choosy about <laughs> which faxes <laughs> I sent. Uh, but, you know, I did that every morning. Uh, to Europe. And then when I dropped the kids off, I came back about nine o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, that's like a prime time for uh, New York. Uh, that's where a lot of my, basically the fashion industry, the the major buying offices were all in New York, you know, Saks, uh, Bloomingdale's, Macy's, they were all in New York. So I contacted them. And then, you know, like as my day kind of uh, unfolded, 
I then went to Dallas, which is where, you know, Kay's Jewelers, um, uh, Zales, they were all, you know, there's quite a few uh, Dillard's, they're all in um, like a Texas, the central time zone. Then I came to LA, which is, you know, so I worked throughout the day based on the time zones. Um, Los Angeles, we still had, you know, quite a few, uh, like Princess Cruises was, was out here that were a huge client of mine. So I did all of that. And then um, I pick up my kids about two o'clock in the afternoon. And I spent between two and, until when they went to sleep about eight thirty nine o'clock every night. You know, uh, they did all the soccer, the tennis, the, the piano, everything they wanted to do, uh, karate. And then um, I cooked dinner, uh, helped them do with their homework. They went to sleep. And then 9 p.m. my time is like a noon in Asia. So then I, you know, did my um, did Tokyo, Korea, um, Hong Kong, all the different department stores there because they could do huge volumes there. So, you know, I had this huge business uh, in uh, airport gift shops, all the major department stores worldwide. Um, you know, and, and I had a huge distribution in um, Dubai, uh, Bahrain, uh, Sharjah, all the Abu Dhabi, all those places as well. So. It was a very solid business by the time HSN called me. That's you had a, a hustle mentality there to get all that. Going. <laughs> yeah, basically spent yeah. like eighteen hour days getting everything going to make sure you hit every time zone, and uh, actually knowing what time it is everywhere. That's that's even harder for some people, and especially like well, these calls here. When I'm doing these, I I get people from other countries, and I have to do right. my math on my hand, have my phone up so I know exactly what time it is there. So I don't waste their time and I take care of them while getting their story out. So you, Yeah, you- it was it was funny. Yes, a couple of days ago, I was on a show. I think he was in New Zealand. And anyway, it was 4 p.m. my time. And, I, you know, I didn't really realize he was in New Zealand because when I booked this thing, it was in New York. So right. uh, I said, well, is that like, um, are you in New Zealand? He says, yes. He says, how do you know? Because I said, I can recognize a picture over there. And I said, well, what time is it? Like 8.30 in the morning? He goes, well, how did you know? I said, because I did business in Australia all this time. (laughs) So, yeah, because, you know, you have to kind of know. So, I don't know. I kind of – and you know the other thing, too? I just really love – and I've traveled to all these places. Um, I've traveled to every one of these countries I'm mentioning and spent high-quality time getting to know people because you have to know what makes them tick before you can actually design jewelry for them, you know, culturally, why they buy, how do they celebrate it, uh, who buys it actually for them, is it a self-purchase or a relative. Um, So, you know, I just love uh, learning about cultures, and they have actually shaped, you know, all my travels have shaped the jewelry design itself. You know, like uh, I I infuse in a lot of the, the, you know, sort of – distinctive motifs um, or things that kind of matter to them. So, you know, it's, it's been a pretty good uh, journey, I would say. Yeah, I would definitely say it was a great journey, uh, especially knowing the backstory of how your family got to America and what you did to get where you are now. It's an amazing journey. And uh, my hat's off to you for your resilience and your, your hustle mentality. That, that's just not something everyone does anymore to hustle that hard to become successful so that they can, spend that time with their family so they don't miss things after yeah. seeing what your parents had to go through when they first got here and you being basically the parent at home. Yeah. So I mean, I spent my uh, time with my daughter today cause um, she has a newborn. She, you know, the baby's like eight weeks old. And I was just telling her that when I first came to America, I didn't, I literally lost my childhood. Cause ever since I was like 13 years old, 
you know, I remember um, taking, so my younger brother, because there was five kids, um, four girls and a boy, and my brother was the youngest. And my younger brother was like less than a year old. And um, I took my brother on the bus. I had to take three different buses, the one-year-old. So there's a picture of a 13-year-old taking a one-year-old um, to the nursery, like preschool, like a church-owned preschool. And I dropped him off and he would cry. I mean, at the top of his lungs. And I feel like when I was on the first bus coming back, I could hear him cry. And, you know, so I, that's why I said to, you know, when I, when I was an adult and I had like the dream uh, degrees from USC and UCLA, I was like, no, I'm just not going to do the same thing to my kids that that happened to me. So, you know, for me, I did, I, the one thing about my journey is that I really kind of grew up a lot faster than I should, any child should ever have to. So, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but, you know, and I don't blame my parents for, you know, abandoning me <laughs> because they had to, they had to put food on the table, but you know what they, but they did instill in me that uh, incredible uh, core value system, you know, that when we had everything taken away, my, my father said to me, you know, they could take away everything, every you know, money, title, uh, your future earnings uh, stream, everything. But what they can't take away from you is who you are, your core values, your integrity, and your dignity. They can't ever take that away from you. So, you know, live how you're supposed to live and uh, never compromise on those things because money is just money. It's, you know, so it was good. That's that's great advice from them. And yeah. uh, we're running, running low on time here. So what advice would you give to a young woman who wants, who has that dream and wants to get into, into making their own designs or make their own business? What's, what's a bit of advice you'd give them? You know, believe in yourself. Um, I know that that's a lot um, harder than I actually do it, but really um, if you remember like all of us, you go to a normal hospital, all of us are born the same way. We're, we all come to this earth with nothing. And, um, and yet, you know, the minute you're born, you are given everything you need to, to be successful, to live your maximum potential and don't let anybody, you know, social media, the so-called experts, all of these people would tell you, unless you know something chic or whatever, like you're never going to succeed. Well, guess what? You know, those people really haven't succeeded. This is why they're preaching whatever they do. Because if they really had a secret to make 500 million bucks, they wouldn't be coaching it. They'd be actually doing it. So go ahead. You know, (laughs) what I find interesting is like all these coaches, I mean, I wrote this book called uh, Million Dollar Hobbies. And when I was trying to pitch it to um, major publishers, you know, many of them said, you know, we'll give you an advance. And right now it's actually in the revision phases. uh, But when I had to do research on uh, the top selling books on Amazon, I found no book, not a single book written by a, an actual entrepreneur who's actually started a business. They were like professors, reporters, um, you know, CEO of some company that always made his money, you know, playing with other people's money, basically. So, you know, believe in yourself. And if you start, um, just make sure that you manage that risk. And when you fail, and I guarantee you, I don't know what's going to work for your business, but I guarantee you, you are going to fail many, many times. That's the one thing I can guarantee you. But when you fall, make sure you learn to fall forward and get up. And uh, if you don't learn to embrace failures, you will never be successful. 
So those failures will eventually lead to success because if you fail nine thousand times, it's nine thousand times you know you know you know you found nine thousand ways it's not going to work, which means there are very few you know ways you left. <laughs> so you know, and then whenever you start something and you get rejections, rejection is just feedback. Um, what I do is when I design my pieces and I call on any account, I don't tell them, "Hey, you know, I designed this pieces, you know, and what do you think?" I you know, even with my books, when I send out, um, I send out like my chapters for review. Like I don't send out the whole book. It's too much. But I'll just send like one chapter to a group and another chapter to a different group. I don't ask them, what do you think? I ask them, you know, hey, here's my latest chapter. I really would love your feedback. You know, can you please take the time to read it and give me four different ways I can improve this manuscript? And what happens is they're then forced to actually read it and forced to because people will usually try to honor your request, right? They, they give you four different ways you can improve. So I would say that whenever you somebody says no, that may actually be a real blessing if you can get feedback out of them. So, you know, just my whole message is, it, like Nelson Mandela said, it all seems impossible until it's done. Start somewhere, you will learn and uh, just be patient. You, you have everything you need. And um, if you need, you know, more than that, if you need more than what I've been giving you today, you know, I, I offer now I'm working on my legacy. I'm not trying to really make money from anybody. Uh, my business is still going and it's actually making money by itself um, at this point. You know, <laughs> So uh, basically I give uh, I took what it takes to start start and grow um, and scale your business so that you could actually have a life. So you don't have to work like in 80 hour weeks. Um, I took six different pillars of um, the building an empire phase of the business. So I give like a free work, uh, workshop once a month. I can't tell you which, you know, I don't actually have a schedule because my schedule is really crazy. But I'll, every uh, month I'll pick one topic out of the six and I do a workshop. And it's only, it's limited to only 25 people because I don't want looky lose. I just want people who are really serious to come in, get real content. Uh, real actionable tips so they, you know, if somebody asks me a question, I, I want to be able to answer that fully uh, instead of like leading them into some course. Um, so I do, you know, I give you a lot of free feedback. And then I do the Million Dollar Hobbies uh, podcast where I highlight people with journeys like myself to come on and sh share with the audience exactly what it took for them to start, you know, something from nothing and start it. So you know, I hope that that's my service back to society to, you know, I, you know, um, I almost feel guilty um, living the life I live because I feel like there are, I mean, this country is so full of immigrants and we know immigrants work hard. I mean, they work hard, their lives are tough and I completely sympathize with that. Um, and yet so many people work harder than I do. They're smarter than I am. And somehow I ended up kind of hitting the jackpot. And I feel like I've been lucky and I've been blessed and I want to pay that back. So that's why I'm actually on this show and every other, you know, thing that I do on my website. If you go to my website, literally there's nothing for you can buy. You can't even buy jewelry on my website because, you know, there are 70,000 people selling my jewelry uh, all, all across the globe. So I don't need to be telling you to buy it. Um, so it, my website is just educational and engagement. Um, and I want you to kind of enjoy your journey, um, you know, visiting my site and just kind of getting to know me and other people. Um, and that's it. So what is your website? So the audience can go there and see you. 
Oh, it's uh, uh, www.victoria, like Queen Victoria, WIC, it's, but it's spelled W-I-E-C-K.com. And uh, if you Google it, uh, the first thing that's going to come up is all my jewelry people. Uh, but, you know, there's like, I don't know, 35,000 people or so that visiting that site every day. But you can still pretty much sign up for, sign up for anything that's free because it's really uh, valuable content. Awesome. Uh, Victoria, this was great chatting with you for the last uh, about 35, 40 minutes. I learned a lot from you and your journey, like I said, is exceptional. It's something that people need to look at and say, she went through it and took all those steps. I can do it too. And I, I, I applaud you and thank you for being on. Thank you for inviting me. Until next time. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are Fit Nation.